Well, happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. And um, a little later as we uh, as I share a message, actually a story with you today, there's some fatherly characteristics built into it, but it's a story that goes beyond that. Uh, I'm David Roderick, Minister of Outreach and Mission here at Troy and I Methodist Church. And today is a special day for me in a, in a few ways, but... Um, this morning about 6.15, I got a, a message from my middle son saying Happy Father's Day, which is cool, especially since he's 6,000 miles away. And then uh, a little later from my daughter-in-law, I got a message, Happy Father's Day. And then I realized I needed to send my son a Happy Father's Day because this is my first Father's Day as a grandfather. And I really wasn't... Well, let me just, I'm sitting over there, and I looked at this flower, and I realized that's for my granddaughter, who was born May 12th, and um, is 6,000 miles away in China, but lots of pictures and lots of videos, and so I got just a little emotional, so I'm trying to get myself under control right now, and we'll get started. Um, let's pray. Uh-oh. Let's pray. <laughs> God... We do want to say thank you today for those people who are so influential in our lives. At the same time, God, we know that um, some of us had great fathers who gave us so many things about life and how to live it, yet at the same time, they weren't perfect. And God, we had imperfect fathers who sometimes taught us through their imperfections. Sometimes there's pain that comes with the thought of a father, and sometimes there's joy. Whatever the feelings are today, God, let us remember that you are our father and that you are the epitome of what a father who loves unconditionally is. And let us never forget that. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today I'm going to do some storytelling. And this is a story that some of you are going to be very familiar with. Others, it may be brand new to you. And that's okay. Sometimes we come into church with preconceived ideas that everybody knows something that we don't know, but rarely is that true. But here's the thing. This week, and I'm going to challenge you this week to go back and read the whole story. We don't have enough time today for me to give you the whole story. But it's in the Old Testament, a book called Esther. And... I'm going to focus today on our person of interest because we are in the midst of a series on persons of interest. Now, I want to give you the list of characters right up front because um, you need to keep them kind of separate or otherwise you'll get lost in the story. The first one is Xerxes. He is a Persian king. So Xerxes is the king. Vashti plays a very short, small role, but at the beginning of the story, she's the queen. Then we come to Haman, who is second in charge of all of the kingdom, but also an enemy of the Jews. And then we have Esther, who is a Jewish woman who grows up to become queen. And then we have Mordecai, who is a Jew, but is central to our story and also our father figure in this story. Now, I don't know about you, but 
I love a great story, a story that has all kinds of elements infused in it. It's the kind of story that makes a great movie, and this story has been made into movies. It has all of those elements, and here are some of the elements that show up in this story. There's greed and opulence, murder and revenge, lust and sex. There is great irony. I mean, I have, there's few stories that have as much and as good irony as this story. And of course, the common duo of most or many great stories, violence and humor. It's a story of the weak going up against the strong, the underdog battling the champion, the haves, the have-nots, the, well, okay, you get it. And I do get excited about this story. But right in the middle of the story, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes front and center, is our person of interest today. And that's a man named Mordecai. Our story begins in the Persian Empire about four generations after Nebuchadnezzar had led the Babylonians into Israel and had taken the Jews captive. They've been away from their homeland for many, many years. And as a result, and, and um, as our story opens in this Persian um, uh, empire, well, let me back up a little bit. After Nebuchadnezzar had taken the, the Jews into captivity, um, the Persians came along under Cyrus and took over the Babylonian Empire, and it became the Persian Empire, which was friendlier for the most part to the Jews. But now we're several generations into it, and this whole story, when you read it in the, in the Bible, everything is so over the top that you won't believe. Everything is kind of exaggerated, but it's done so to make a point. Well, as we open the uh, story, there's, there's this great celebration, 180-day celebration going on. At the end of that is a seven-day feast. And at the end of the seven-day feast, after the king has had much wine, it says, he called for his queen, Queen Vashti, who was with the women at their own banquet, and he wanted to show off her beauty. Except the queen refused to come. Well, under the law... There was only one thing he could do, and that's ban her from his presence forever, which meant they now needed a new queen. Well, this is where we first meet Mordecai. He's a fifth-generation Jew in the Persian Empire, and he had raised his cousin after her parents had died. Her name was Esther, and she's described in the Bible as having a lovely figure and was beautiful. That's important to the story, by the way. Esther, you see, was picked to be a potential queen and was brought into the palace. So they had collected women from all over to bring them in to see which one pleased the king the most to become the next queen. Well, Mordecai, knowing the history of some of his people in the kingdom, told her to keep her heritage secret. This was because he was a loving father and he knew that that would put her at risk. Well, it also tells us that every day after she was taken to the palace, that Mordecai walked back and forth near the courtyard where Esther was to see how she was and what she was doing. Now, I have a 17-year-old daughter. I understand that. I've driven by places she's supposed to be. I have followed her places, not because I want to be nosy, but because I love her and I want to protect her and I want to know what's going on in her life. And that's what Mordecai was doing. 
Well, when the king met Esther, he was so taken with her beauty that he selected her immediately as his new queen. Well, I need to say during this time, after she was selected queen, there was something else going on because Mordecai, who was still coming up to the, to the palace every day, one day was sitting at the king's gate and he overheard two of the king's officers who were angry at the king plotting to assassinate him. So Mordecai sent word to Esther to have her tell the king about this plot. And so she reported it to the king and told him that Mordecai was the one who had found out, even though she, he still didn't know the relationship between them. And so the king had these two men impaled on poles. Apparently there was a lot of impaling going on back then. All right, so you're with me so far? Esther is the cousin of Mordecai, who he raised. She's now become queen of Persia. And Mordecai has helped to avert an assassination of the king. Well, this is when our villain, Haman, enters the story. Haman is, uh, or becomes second in charge of all of the kingdom and the most trusted man of the king. And he is a guy who loves his wealth and his power and loves to get respect from people. He is a man who has uh, got a huge ego. I don't know if you know anybody like that, but, well... You'll find out just how big it is. And every day when he would leave the palace and go through the king's gates, all the, the, the royalty people, all of the nobles, all of the common people would, would bow down to him or would kneel to him as he would come out. Now that would feed your ego, wouldn't it? Every time you left somewhere, everybody knelt as you left. Except one person didn't kneel, Mordecai. That made Haman so mad, it embarrassed him, it cut it to his pride, and he knew that that, that might uh, cause other people to do that. And so he decided there's only one thing he could do. He had to kill Mordecai. But here's Haman. Haman, it's not enough just to kill Mordecai. He wants to kill all the Mordecai's people. And I'm not talking about just his family or just the Jews in the city of Susa where they live. He wanted to kill the Jews throughout the entire empire because of this one man. That's the hatred Haman had in his, in his heart. He even had the king make an edict saying that on a certain day, all the Jews would be killed. Well, when Mordecai heard about this, he was obviously distraught. And so he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and covered himself in ashes, which is a sign in, in the Jewish community of grief, of great deep heartache. Well, Esther heard about this and, 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 and sent someone to find out what was wrong, why he was doing this. And Mordecai sent a message to her and instructed her to go to the king and beg mercy for her people. She sends back a message to Mordecai and says, um, Mordecai, you, you remember that one law, that law that says that anyone, even the queen, who approaches the king without being called is to be killed. With one caveat, the king has the right to, to extend the golden scepter and invite them in. In other words, she's saying, Mordecai, this is a suicide mission. Do you know what you're asking me to do? Mordecai says, yes, I do. But this is bigger than just your life. This is all of your people. 
So she says to Mordecai, have all the Jews fast for three days, and I will do the same thing. So after those three days, she approached the king. Can you imagine what must be going through her mind and her heart? Have you ever had a situation where you are approaching a person who held your life in their hands? And it was arbitrary. They, were, they totally had it as a, as a decision that they could make. You can almost hear her heart beating, can't you, as she walks in? Her mouth is so dry she can hardly speak. The king says, what do you want, Esther? Let me back up. As she stood there waiting to find her fate, in what probably felt like hours, the king grabbed the golden scepter and reached it out to her, invited her in. He says, what do you want, Esther? Ask anything and I'll give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. She says, what I want to do is give you a banquet tomorrow and have Haman come to it. So the next day, here was this banquet, and it was given in honor of the king and of Haman. And the king said, all right, Esther, what do you want? She wasn't ready to tell him yet. She said, I want you guys to come back tomorrow for a second banquet. Well, can you imagine what Haman's feeling like right now? I have just been invited by the king and the queen, not only to one banquet, but I'm invited back again tomorrow. He could not wait to get out of that palace and go home. It says he left in high spirits. The gates open. He's on his way home. He goes out through the gates. Everybody kneels, except there's Mordecai. Can you imagine? You know how that feeling is. You're excited about something, and you run across that killjoy who just robs it from you. And here's Haman, he's top of the world, but there's still that burr underneath his saddle, Mordecai. He ignored it for the moment because he wanted to get home and celebrate. And he did. And he told all his family, he bragged about, I am the one who's invited to see the king and the queen and to dine with them and be in their presence. But eventually, as they began to, to kind of wind down and talk some more, Mordecai came up. And some of his advisors said, you got to take care of him. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to erect a pole beside our house to impale him on it. And so they did. That night, they erected a pole that was, it said, was 70 feet high. You know, in a story like this, if you're going to do it, you better do it right. So 70-foot tall pole that he is going to impale Mordecai on and put him to shame. Well... That night, the king couldn't sleep. What do you do when you can't sleep? You read. When you're the king, what do you read? You read the annals of all the great things you've done in your kingdom. So he calls one of his servants to bring him the book of annals, and he begins to read it, and he reads the story of Mordecai saving his life. And he asks the servant, have we done anything to honor this man Mordecai for saving my life? And the servant says, no. So the next day, as Haman came into the palace, and can you imagine what he's thinking? This day can't get any better. Got the pole erected to kill Mordecai. 
A second day of banqueting with the king and the queen. I'm the most powerful man next to the king in all of the kingdom. And the king comes up to Haman. And he says to Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Well, his day just got better. The king wants to honor me. And not only is he going to honor me, he's going to let me choose how to be honored in front of all the people. So with himself in mind, he says this to the king. He says, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, one with the royal crest placed on its head, and then let the robe and the horse be entrusted with one of the king's most noble princes. And let, the, let them robe the man the king delights to honor. And lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded, and get the robe and the horse. Amen's like, you're going to let me do this? I'm going to get this kind of honor? You see where he's at? Life is sweet. And then the king says, get the robe and the horse and do just as, I, as you have suggested. For Mordecai, the, the Jew. Can you feel it? Can you feel that? This goes beyond disappointment, doesn't it? This man had to be beside himself. And if his day couldn't get any better earlier, surely it couldn't get any worse right now, could it? Well, guess who got the robe and the horse? So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets. And, and Haman proclaimed before the people, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Whew. Humility is a tough thing, isn't it? This has to be where that saying, pride goeth before the fall came from, because he is falling fast. What about, what humiliation, but what irony. This is one of the great stories of irony in this, where, where not only did he think he was the man, but his arch enemy was, and he had to proclaim the greatness of his enemy. Well, the day goes on. He's going to recover. He still gets to go to the banquet with the queen and the king. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. So this is why Mordecai had told her. He didn't know this, I don't think, in advance, but he was wise enough to say, hide your heritage, but there may become a time where you share it. And then she says, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Mordecai wanted to commit genocide. And that is what Queen Esther is revealing to the king. Her people, not just the people, but the queen's people 
were to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. King Xerxes, with his anger rising, asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man that dared to do such a thing. If you felt the air go completely out of the room, Amon's over there trying to breathe. He can't do it. I like to picture him just soiled himself. Sorry. <laughs> Queen Esther looks at him and says, an adversary of the enemy, the vile Haman. It gets worse for Haman. The king is angry, and he walks out to the garden to deal with his anger. And while he's gone, Haman began to beg Esther for his life. This is how the story reads. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaims, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? That's the last words Haman heard. They covered his head. They took him out, arrested him, and took him away. This is where one other guy emerges in the story. <laughs> if you think about it, you know this guy. The guy that, that, that's kind of silent until things are really bad. And he goes, hey, I can pile on. This is a guy named Harbona, and he's one of the king's servants. He says, oh, um, oh, oh by the way, king, um, you know, there's a 70-foot pole already erected right next to Haman's house. And, uh, and he built it to kill that guy, Mordecai, that saved your life. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that guy, but he sure set the stage for this. And here are the four words of response of King Xerxes. Impale him on it. Irony. The pole that he had built to kill Mordecai became the instrument of his death. Irony. Haman was first or second in command of the entire Persian Empire. Mordecai was given him his position. Mordecai became second in command, and as a result was able to, to have the king sign an edict that was going to save all of the Jews. What a great story. I love that. I hope I did it half the justice it deserves today because it has got so much in it. But here's the thing about a story. A story is not really important until we learn what it means to us, especially a Bible story. Here's what we can learn from Mordecai. First, Haman sought great honor and treated people unjustly yet was humiliated. Mordecai sought no honor, but only desired to do what was right and true, and he received great honor. Jesus kind of spoke to this when he said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The greatest shall be the least and the least shall be the greatest. What do you seek in your life? Honor or service? We learn that he was prepared to adopt this young child who'd lost her parents. It couldn't have been inconvenient or couldn't have been convenient for him. 
Could have been comfortable to bring in this, this new person into their home. Yet he did. And not only did he do that, he raised her as his own daughter, loved her as his own, and he taught her the ways of their faith. How willing are we to be inconvenienced or to be taken out of our comfort zone to do something for somebody who is in need? Mordecai was a man of great wisdom and integrity. He was wise enough to tell Esther, be quiet about who you are until the right time. But he also had integrity because he made the decision to do what was right simply because it was right. Are you someone who uses your God-given wisdom and act with integrity in your life? Because you never know when God is going to use that to make a difference. One of the interesting things about this story is you read it, there's no mention of God or of the temple or of worship. In fact, almost didn't make the Old Testament, except for the fact that the underlying story is all about those who are faithful to the God who loves them and lives the life that God has called them to live. God will be there for them. And in fact, this story was really written to encourage these Jews spread out, dispersed from Jerusalem for all these generations to remind them, never forget that God still loves you and God still protects you. And it was because of the actions of Mordecai that God's love was shown once again to an entire nation. Do you practice a faith in such a way that you are ready to be used by God when the time comes? Are you in touch and in tune with God so you know how to respond, whether it's a, a difficult situation like this or an everyday situation in life? Mordecai was willing to risk the most important thing in his life, his family, because he recognized that he and Esther were part of a much larger divine moment that their lives were meaningless in comparison to the lives of all of God's people. Which begs the question to us, what are we willing to risk to let go of for the greater good of all of us? And then it kind of sums up Mordecai in the, in the last few verses of, of Esther when it says this, Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all of the Jews. Mordecai reflected God's love and care for his people. My prayer is that you will care deeply, that you will be defined by your love and by your concern and your welfare for others, and that all of us will be known to those around us by our good deeds we do in service to God. Let us pray. God, thank you for the life of Mordecai and of Esther 
and of all those, those men and women of faith who teach us by the way they live, the way in which we should live. And God, give us even a, a, a simple part of the courage that they had to have had at great risk to themselves to stand up for what is right. And God, let us stand up for what is right in our world today. Let us stand up to protect the least among us, those who are in greatest need. Let us never turn our back on them, but let us, even at our inconvenience, outside our comfort zone, and even at risk, show your love to them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.